We are in the book of James, a very practical general epistle written by, humanly speaking, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus Christ, who did himself not come to faith in the Savior until after the resurrection. Very practical book, very hard-hitting book, very clear book calling us to behavior after we have had belief. And I want to start by reading our passage for this morning, and it's found in the first chapter, verses 19 through 25. Uh, I don't believe this will be on the screen, but if you open your Bibles to James 1, 19 to 25, it would be good. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of a person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. This is the word of God for our consideration and transformation together this morning. You know, one thing about it, you can't be implanted with something without it changing you. With an implant, you either are going to be a lot better or you're going to be a lot worse. Take a bullet, which is the most dramatic, detrimental implant. A gun's bullet usually kills. But on the other side of that coin, consider a pacemaker. Some of you are here alive worshiping God because you have had the implant in your heart of a pacemaker. How about that piece of wood that you are working on at your house, perhaps, or your job, and a little splinter of wood pushes its way quickly underneath your fingernail. Well, you know as well as I do that that implant is going to really start screaming to you in about six hours or less. You can't be implanted by anything except it has an effect, positive or negative. There was a little girl, three years old, in the first church I pastored in St. Mary's, Ontario, who was born with a congenital and deadly liver disease. Brittany Heath was her name. And the only way that Brittany Heath's life could be saved was with a liver transplant, a liver implant, taking her sick liver out and putting a healthy liver in. Did you know that the liver is the only body organ that God has created to grow? Regenerate. So they took a donated adult liver 
and they cut it down to the size of a three-year-old girl's abdomen, and they implanted a transplanted liver into Brittany Heath, and as she grew from a little girl to a teenager to a woman who is now married, that liver grew with her. An implant that changed, saved Brittany's life. James 1.21 informs us that the word of God is an implant. James 1.21 tells us that the word of God is an implant that will save us. Verse 21, therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. The word of God is an implant, and as such, it can save us from what? From hell, from sin, from self, from Satan, from foolishness, from temptation, from depression, from discontentment. The word of God implanted in you can save you from fear and lies and pride and prejudice and vice and anger and rudeness and, 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 and. Oh, yes, the word of God is a potent, powerful implant. Well, how is it? that the Bible is implanted into you or me. Well, how was the adult cut-to-child-sized liver implanted in Brittany Heath? Well, because she was so young, her parents humbly accepted the implant for her. And that is how you and I will be implanted with the word of God, the Bible, if we humbly accept it. If we humbly accept it. Verse 21, therefore putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And so we're going to make a little outline that's not necessarily in your half sheet today, but we're going to make a little outline if you care to take notes. Roman numeral one now comes into this sermon, and it is this. The implant of the Bible has to be humbly accepted. Proud Christians are impervious to the implantation of the Bible. If you think you're better than other people, if you think you have nothing to learn, you will not receive the implant of the Bible that God wants you to receive. It is only humble followers of Jesus who know they have a whole lot to learn that will humbly accept the implant of the Bible in their lives. I hope that's you. I hope that's me. Now, I want to do something I usually don't do in exposition of the scriptures. I want to work backwards in the text. Can I do that this morning? Can you cut me a little slack? I'm going to work backwards. I have my reasons. Let's work backwards in our text. When we open our Bibles and when we read them with care, when we read our Bibles with concentration, when we read our Bibles with humility, the Bible speaks to us and many good things happen. What kind of good things you say? Well, I'm glad you asked. In the first place, we become inclined to trash all kinds of moral filth and evil from our lives. 
When we humbly accept the Bible as an implant, one of the happy consequences is that it will trash all kinds of moral filth and evil in our lives. See it again in verse 21. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And so our second Roman numeral, the implant of the Bible trashes all kinds of moral filth and evil. I remember going with an elder of that first church in St. Mary's, Ontario, Canada, to a home of a young woman, a professing Christian woman in her 20s. We went to her apartment, and she started talking about how despondent she was in her faith. I said, I haven't seen you at church for a long time. I'm despondent. Are you reading the Bible? No, I don't have time. I'm despondent. And so it went. All the means of grace that God had provided for her and every Christian she was not availing herself of. And then she said, and my boyfriend who lives with me has all those hardcore pornographic VHSs on that bookshelf. And I am a practicing witch. It's a hobby of mine. And those books are witchcraft books. And I looked at the elder, and the elder looked at me, and I said, do you have a glad garbage bag? And we got a glad garbage bag from this woman's apartment, and we went to the center of her living room floor, and we told her that the word of God calls all that stuff moral filth, and it has to be burned. Not thrown in the trash so somebody else can be polluted by it. I said, this garbage bag you can make a decisive decision to agree with God's word and to throw in this trash bag everything that needs to be put in it, and Peter and I will promise you we will burn it. So we open the trash bag, and then's the moment of truth. Awkward. She looked at the books on the witchcraft. She pulled one off the shelf, and she looked through it, and she said, boy, that one costs a lot of money. And she put it back on the shelf. She pulled off another book of witchcraft. This one doesn't even belong to me. I borrowed it from another witch. And she put it back on the shelf. And then we said, what about those videos, those porn videos? Oh, they're my boyfriend's. He would be furious if I gave them to you to burn. And so she threw virtually nothing in the garbage bag because she wasn't letting the Bible humbly be an implant in her life. Peter Black and I left Angie's apartment with a virtually empty, glad garbage bag and with extremely heavy and sorrowful hearts. When you, in contrast, Humbly allow the Bible to be implanted into your life. It will cause you to trash all kinds of moral filth and evil. Do you have moral filth and evil? That the implant of the scriptures should cause you to burn. Today. Therefore, 21, 
putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Roman numeral one, the implant of the Bible must be humbly accepted. Roman numeral two, the implant of the Bible trashes all kinds of moral filth and evil. Roman numeral three, the implant of the Bible deals with anger. The implant of the Bible deals with your anger. I see that at the latter part of verse 19. And slow to anger, 20, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. I know in a group this size there are people who have troubles with their temper. And some of them say, well, my father was just like this, so I guess that's the way I am. Anger is a problem. The implant of the Bible will deal with your anger because anger can be just as destructive to us spiritually as the witchcraft books were to Angie and the porno videos were to her and her boyfriend. Verses 19 and 20, again, this you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Why? For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Oh, anger's a problem. Did you see it in the verse near the end of what I just read, that there is one righteousness? 20, for the anger of man does not achieve the, there's the article. It's a certain kind of righteousness. It's the righteousness of God. Because our self-righteousness is called filthy rags in Isaiah. Do you know how this wonderful, specific righteousness of God is to be expressed in your life as a Christian? By you letting the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you live Christ's life out through you, out through your personality, out through your temperaments, out through your gifts, out through your talents, out through your networks of influence. Letting the Holy Spirit, resident in the blood-bought child of God, live out the Christ life, the eternal life, the abundant life through you. Miracle. It was Jesus, our Lord, who said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only life there is that counts. His own life, eternal life, life without beginning, life without ending, abundant life. Now here in James 1.20, it's teaching us that the, a major enemy to the righteous life of Jesus Christ being expressed through the blood-bought child of God is anger. Can't say, you don't know who I live with. You don't understand who I work for. You don't know about my upbringing. I have a right to be angry. When we humbly accept the word of God as an implant, it will deal with my anger and it will deal with your anger too. Now this whole thing on anger, I think it needs to be unpacked biblically for a few minutes. If anger is an enemy to us achieving the righteousness of God in everyday living, we need to talk about it. Hold your places in James, please, and go to Ephesians chapter 4. 
Ephesians chapter 4 is a very helpful passage on anger. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 25 and reading through verse 32, we see some very helpful things. Ephesians 4, 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, and order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for the edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Watch it now. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. In this passage in Ephesians 4, three different kinds of anger are presented. They each have their own different Greek word. Are you ready? Let's have a little Greek lesson. Orge anger, parorgasmas anger, and thumas, anger. Orge, par orgasmas, and thumas. The first kind of anger that appears first in this passage is orge anger. It's the anger that is rational anger. It's the anger that has a legitimate and a good reason to be angry. We call it righteous indignation anger. It's the anger that Jesus Christ had without sinning when he tossed those money changers out of his father's temple. It's the kind of anger you feel when you hear someone was raped or murdered. Orge, anger. Rational, righteous indignation, anger. This is the kind of anger that the New Testament actually commands us to have. When it says in 26, be angry, that's orge. Be angry, righteous indignation. And yet, having righteous indignation or anger, it's still possible to sin because the verse goes on to say, be angry, but sin not. We'll talk about that just in a second here. Now, back to James 1, 19 and 20, it's that same Greek word, orge, which appears in verses 19 and 20. Let's read it. This you know, my beloved brethren, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to orge. Slow to have even righteous indignation anger. Why? For the orge, the righteous indignation anger of man, does not achieve the righteousness of God. That's interesting. The next kind of anger, back to Ephesians 4, is parorgasmas anger. Parorgasmas anger is a kind of anger that has gone best before its expiry date in your heart. Our orgasmos anger is sometimes orge anger, which is turned sour in you. Par orgasmos anger is deep-seated anger, festering anger, embittered anger. It's orge, righteous indignation anger, kept inside of you too long past the best before date on that anger. It's just like when you go to uh, the grocery store, the food store, and you look at the milk, 
And if the, if the milk's on the shelf and it's past its expiry date, you don't buy it. And if you go on vacation off the island and you come home and the milk you previously bought that was good by its date and you see it's two weeks past the expiry date, you don't drink it. Orge righteous indignation, anger that we're commanded to have only for the day in which we experience it before the sun goes down. The best before date on righteous indignation, orge anger, is sundown of the day you feel the anger. If you hang on to even righteous indignation, anger, past sundown of the day you experienced it, it will putrefy, it will go sour, it will become embittered, and it will be sin. Just like you wouldn't drink 14 day past the the best before date milk, don't hang on to your anger past sundown the day you experience righteous indignation anger. That's what it says, right, in 26. Be angry, yet do not sin. How do you not sin? Don't let the sun go down on your anger. That's a different Greek word. That's parogosmos. Don't let orge anger become parogosmos anger. And this is why, going back to James, this is why James says, be slow to welcome even legitimate, righteous indignation, good cause, or gay anger. Be careful about that because you should not even go to bed with it unresolved because you're going to give the devil a foothold to make you bitter. I can't believe what she did to me. I can't believe how he's treated me in business. James, in love, with the authority of the Holy Spirit moving his quill on the parchment, wants you to know and me to know that it's always best to be slow to anger. Because anger is a slippery slope, and legitimate righteous indignation anger can become deep-seated anger, and deep-seated anger can turn into out-of-control anger, which is the third Greek word for anger in Ephesians 4. Thumas. Thumas. Verse 31, Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness and thumas, wrath. That is rage. That is irrational anger. That is why people shoot somebody at a red light over 20 feet of pavement when they were cut off in traffic. That's why a sociopathic serial killer bursts on the scene and kills innocent people in airports and schools and churches. Thumas. But it can start with orge, righteous indignation, anger. If it's not dealt with by bedtime, the day you experience it becomes sour milk, par orgasmos anger. And if it's not par orgasmos anger, it's not dealt with properly and given over at the cross, then that will become thumas rage. And Christians are not exempt from thumas rage. Isn't this practical? To review so far, Roman numeral one, the implant of the Bible must be humbly accepted. Roman numeral two, the implant of the Bible gets rid of all sorts of moral filth and evil. Roman numeral three, the implant of the Bible deals with our anger. Roman numeral four, the implant of the Bible, one, increases our listening and two, decreases our over-talking. 
Now, I hope you don't mind me being a little plain with you, but my mother taught us that when we were shooting our mouths off and not listening to anybody and just wouldn't stop talking, she says, you have verbal diarrhea. <laughs> Sorry, that's what she said. She said, you need to stop talking so much. You need to let other people talk. You need to listen to what they're saying. And if you don't improve on silence, then don't speak. That was my mother. When we let the, humbly let the Bible become an implant into our lives, it affects our mouths and our ears. It causes us to listen a whole lot better. It causes us to shut down over talking. It makes us quick to listen and slow to speak. Verse 19, James 1. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak. I wonder if that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth. When the Bible is implanted into you, it will make you quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, you know the different temperaments, uh, melancholy, sanguine, uh, phlegmatic, etc. Maybe some of you do. Sanguines are bubbly people. They're wonderful people to be around. They're lives of the party. They just tell jokes, and they enjoy people, and people enjoy them, and they couldn't tell you where their bank book is or where they park their car, but they're just wonderful people. Did you hear about the sanguines that were seated at a lunch table at college? And they're all just having a good old time, and they're all talking over each other, and they're having a wonderful time, these sanguines, these outgoing personalities. And one sanguine turned to the other and said, you're not listening. No, I'm not. I'm thinking about what I'm going to say next. <laughs> when we let the Bible be an implant in our lives, one of the good signs will be that we will be much more inclined to listen to some people and much disinclined to speak all the time. These are good things. The Bible as an implant is a marvelous miracle. When you humbly accept it, you will find yourself being spared from moral filth and evil. You will find yourself being spared from anger. You will find yourself being spared from talking too much. You'll find yourself being given the grace to listen better. And you will even find when you let the Bible be an implant by humbly accepting it, it will bring about the righteous life of Christ that he wants to live through you, achieving that righteousness. Who wouldn't want that? But you know, I've been a pastor for 30 years. Even though the benefits are so great for having the Bible be an implant into your life, I've been around the block several times with church. Many Christians don't humbly accept the Bible as an implant in their lives. Many Christians are charmed by the Bible, but they never are changed by the Bible. They come to church, they want to hear a good sermon, they might even tell me it's a good sermon, but then they never think about that truth again. Could it be that you've been charmed by the Bible for a lot of years, but not changed by it? Well, apart from flesh and apart from stubbornness and apart from spiritual disinterest and atrophy, what could cause a blood-bought, born-again child of God to be resistant to having a willing acceptance for the Bible being an implant in his or her life? Laziness. Laziness. The lazy Christian can't 
go to the work, can go to the work, won't go to the work of letting the Bible be implanted in their lives. It's that simple. If this is work, which is our fifth Roman numeral today, the implant of the Bible demands we work. We have to do something. And when we do something, do forms on our foreheads, perspiration. Some of us, when it comes to spiritual truth, some of us are too heavy for uh, light work and too light for heavy work. We're lazy. We want to put forth the effort. We don't want to put forth the exertion in the Word. We want to be disciplined to read or study the Word. We won't give our energies to the Word of God. We won't sacrifice to give the Bible the place it deserves as an implant in our life. You know, when Sam Rotman will play tonight, I'm sure that in the course of these 2,800 concerts, some have come up to Mr. Rotman and said, I would give the world to play the piano like you. And you know what Sam could legitimately say? That's good because it'll take that. It'll take the, the sacrifice of the world to practice enough to play like that. That's a bit of a hypothetical, but I can tell you one that was historical. Donald Gray Barnhouse, the senior pastor teacher at 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, had an exquisite knowledge of the word of God. And he was a prince of a preacher. And one night a woman came up to Dr. Barnhouse. And she said, oh, Dr. Barnhouse, I would give everything to know the Bible like you. And he said, good, Mrs. Smith, because that's what you'll have to give up. What are you prepared to give set aside or to effort to put forward that you would become implanted with the word of God by your own personal study, not by spoon feeding by me on Sunday mornings? Pastor, I don't know where to begin. With a blank sheet of paper tomorrow morning before you go to work, however early that is, with a pen, why don't you start with the gospel of Mark? It's the shortest gospel. And you just... Take eight verses or less, and you observe what you see there, and just keep sheets of paper and work your way each morning through Mark. That'll be beginnings of letting the Bible be an implant in your life. You know, Nike garments and shoes has sold a lot of product with their slogan, just do it. Sorry. Just do it. And as I read James 21, 22 to 25, I invite you to circle every occurrence of the word do or doing or does. Here we go, 22 to 25. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and does not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of a person he was. But one who looks intently tomorrow morning before work getting up as early as it takes to do it. But the one who looks intently, same Greek word was used of the women at Jesus' empty tomb after the resurrection. They looked intently at that empty tomb. And we must look intently at the Bible. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. I counted four occurrences of do, doing, does in those four verses. I think that the Holy Spirit wants all of us to know what counts is what we do. It's not just what we know. What we know isn't as important, maybe, as what we do. 
A man waiting outside of the church building asked someone coming out, is the sermon done yet? And a perceptive usher said, no, it's been preached, but it's yet to be done. <laughs> Mark Twain was not a professing Christian at all, but he said something that we ought to think about. He said, most people are bothered by those passages of the Bible which they cannot understand. But as for me, I've always noticed that the passages in the Bible which trouble me the most are the ones I do understand. The church member went to his pastor trying to impress him. Instead, he was going to the Holy Land. He was going to climb Mount Sinai and read aloud the Ten Commandments. The pastor said, you know what I think would be something even better? Instead of traveling thousands of miles to read the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, why not stay right here and live by them? When you come to this concept that the Bible as an implant requires our work and our doing, uh, verses 22 to 25 use two metaphors, and with these I close. One metaphor is calling the implant of the Bible a mirror, and the other metaphor is calling the implanted Bible an invisible fence. And so our sixth Roman numeral and last. The implant of the Bible is both a mirror and an invisible fence. Uh, 22 to 25. But prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his own natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, having become a forgetful hearer but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. The implanted word of God is both a mirror, and an invisible fence. When we look at ourselves in the morning and the ladies put on their makeup if they wear makeup and the men who have hair unlike me comb their hair or brush their hair, we all brush our teeth, we look in the mirror, we see how we're doing, are we presentable? The Bible is a mirror. Every day we should look into the mirror. What does it show us is lacking? What is it showing us needs to be spruced up? What does it show needs to be cleansed? That's the implant of the Bible as a mirror. But the Bible is also an invisible fence. Verse 25 calls the whole Bible the perfect law that gives freedom. I used to live in a gated community in Canada that did not allow fences of any kind. And our neighbor had a rambunctious, healthy sheepdog named Caden. And Caden never went off my friend's property, although there was not a fence. Because there was an invisible fence with electricity running through it, buried out of sight. And Caden had a collar. And if Caden crossed that invisible fence, there was a little shock on the dog's collar, and he knew, woo. The Bible as an implant is a fence, an invisible fence. Because maybe you're not going to do something at work that Christ doesn't want you to do, not because you've got a Bible on your workstation desk, but because you've got the Bible in your heart, an invisible fence. This is what we've studied. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he immediately has forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. Oh God, we would have the word of God as an implant that we humbly accept. We who need to trash moral filth and evil, we would do so. We who need to have anger dealt with, we would do so. We who know we need to increase our listening and decrease our talking, we would do so. And together we acknowledge that this business of having the Bible implanted is not laziness. It's doing something. It's looking intently into the Bible each day for ourselves. Oh God, make Calvary Bible Church a scripturally implanted assembly. And we pray these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake, amen.